Jonathan's drinking instead of doing the intro. <laughs> Welcome to Crime by the Bar. I'm Jonathan. I'm Anna. This is a true crime podcast where we have a few drinks and we talk about crimes that were interesting or mysterious or whatever else. We're going to round this out with drinks. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> we're, we're doing pre-drinks right now. But, you know, it's our, it's our first time we, we just... We're relaxing. It is by the bar, after all. Yeah. Okay. So, our worst first policy means that I go first this week. Because all I know about I yours... Worst first. Uh, worst we, first, yeah. We did discuss it, but I'm just hearing it. I like it. I like yeah. it. <laughs> yours is really... So, yours is light. All I know about yours is it's light, and I think it's a Japan. Some... Yep. It's based in Japan, or it's... Mm. Yeah? It's in Japan. Okay. And you know mine is... Well, you yeah, you know mine is a little bit sadder. <laughs> what do you know about mine? Uh, I do know that there is murder involved. Um, okay, I don't think I told you this, but I so I told my mum we were doing this, and there was this really awkward pause, and then she said, "Did Auntie Bertha ever tell you about the unsolved murder near her?" I'm like, "What?" Oh. And um, decided not to call a 97 year old at midnight um so just started googling based on um on where she lives and i'm i'm really familiar with the area um and i've gone past the house countless times so it's it's really really weird because you're reading about it and going oh, i know these places like i know all of these places so it's just a freebie yeah yeah and i wasn't gonna do this one like I, i'd already picked the crime i was gonna do and um and this kind of a, yeah, no, this is a good one. Um, so 1952, um, Patricia Kern, who was 19 and studying for an arts degree at Queen's University in Belfast, which is like the big, nice, prestigious university um, there. She was described as willful and promiscuous. So I guess she had an opinion and she dated. Um, I mean, and if we're talking like students... Yeah, but this is 1950s. And she also took a gap year before starting university, which was totally unheard of then. Mm -hmm. So, like... Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, apparently she consorted with older men, whatever that means. So, like, I, she dated a fellow student and I couldn't find anything else in her personal life. So hmm. it, it just seemed like this random little thing to add in, like... Just was it just like okay the fact that she dated a student or the no the, the, the it's it's it said that she consorted people. with older men uh -huh. that was word for word what I found on her in a couple of different sources and it's like it's a matter of record yeah mm. the, and the willful and promiscuous thing as well was in there and it's like mm. but no explanation um, yeah so on the twelfth of November nineteen fifty two. She had tea with her boyfriend, John Steele. Um, he was also a student. Mm. And then they um, walked together to Smithfield bus station so she could catch her 5pm bus home. 
Um, I've taken this bus route so many times as well. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, she was last seen at 20 past five when she was alighting from the bus stop to go towards her driveway. And the driveway leading to the house, it was a really, really big house. Um, and there's a shared do- driveway between that house and another uh, large one in the area by who was owned by Lord Hungerford or something. Um, yeah, like it was, her dad was a judge. It was the family home. It was, you know, it, it's nice. Um, and it's a place called White Abbey, which is sort of a, a sleepy village just outside of Belfast. Um, and, you know, it's it's not a big place. Even now, you know, you you kind of, you don't know everyone, but you're familiar with a lot of the people. Um, so yeah, she was last seen at 20 past five, um, heading towards her driveway. Um, the driveway to the house was about 600 yards, which in European is 550 meters. Thank you. <laughs> um, and it was leafy and overgrown and yeah, it, it was shared with that other neighbor. Um, there was an 11 year old uh, newspaper delivery boy, George Chambers, who saw her turn into the driveway a short time later. Um, and he actually went down the avenue a little while after and mm. He was delivering papers and he heard a rustling of leaves, but the sound was drowned out by uh, like a, a foghorn thing type thing that was going off at a local factory to sort of signify oh, the end no. of the day. Okay. Um, so that happened at the same time he was walking past hearing the rustling leaves, so you can't really process mm-hmm. it, I guess. Um, so he delivered his papers and came back and at the same spot heard more rustling leaves, which he described as sounding like someone was standing on leaves and it freaked him out so he ran off um and that was yeah well (laughs) that was a very detailed witness statement that didn't really lead anywhere yeah well they took sixty thousand witness statements and none of them really it was insane none of them really led anywhere that's the thing so this could mean absolutely nothing or it could mean something um so well so her dad was a judge um his name was lancelot curran or lance um he was the youngest ever attorney general um he was made attorney general at 36 at the time um and he later became a high court judge he was supposedly a bit of a gambler and um i i read in a couple of sources that he was heavily in debt um he also became ireland's last hanging judge when he convicted some guy called robert mcglattery in 1961 for the murder of uh i think it was a 19 year old as well um Mm. but she was called pearl gamble um and in that case it was purely circumstantial and he spoke directly to the jury and they think that if Judge Curran hadn't spoken have spoken to the jury like that, mm. the guy would have never been convicted, and he was hung for it. So, mm. the, already the, you know, he seems a bit. There's something not quite right there, at least to me. Yeah, it sounds a bit shady. Yeah. So, um, on the night of the 12th of November, he was playing poker at the Ulster Reform Club, and at around 7 p.m., he was urgently summoned home. Um, I have no more details than that. I don't know who called or what the situation was. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Patricia's mother and brother would have also been at home that evening. Her mother, Doris, was brought up in Broadmoor Hospital. So any Northern Irish people have probably heard of it. It's um, a hospital for the criminally insane. Um, And her dad was a superintendent there. So she was like raised in the grounds as far as I could tell. 
and she she didn't get on with her daughter Patricia at all. She really disapproved of her lifestyle. Again, it, it's all totally non-specific and based on, you know, what I read about Patricia and and the way you know people are today, she would have been considered fairly conservative by today's standards. Mm. Um, but yeah, apparently, mommy didn't approve. All that willfulness. Yeah, well, women having opinions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, her brother, um, Desmond, he was 26 at the time. He was a barrister. Um, he was also an active member of a local Presbyterian church. Um, and he was a conversionist for a group called the Moral Rearmament, which is a, a movement with Christian roots and a basis of four absolutes. <laughs> Um, absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. And one of the core ideas was uh, that changing the world starts with changing yourself. So, mm. do you think he's do you think he's going to be a nice guy? I'm guessing not. I don't know. Well, yeah, the the whole thing is a bit weird, but I I find that quite interesting. Was it like conversionist? As in recruiter slash brainwasher, or um, they definitely wouldn't frame it like that. More of a <laughs> bringing people into what would you say the path of light or something. Fair enough. Um, and yeah, this it does become. There's an interesting connection later on, but um, so definitely the mum, the brother, and the dad were all in the house that evening at some stage. The last time she was spotted was 20 past five. And then at quarter to two in the morning, Judge Curran phoned the police to ask if there was a bus accident because his daughter had been on the 5 p.m. bus but hadn't arrived home. Um, they said there'd be no accidents and asked if an officer should be sent to the house. He said it wasn't necessary. But then five minutes later, his wife Doris called back to ask if they could come. Okay. Mm. My throat's starting to go. Still, uh, slightly <clears throat> so he knew that she got on the bus. But well, didn't know if the bus. See, like, that's another thing. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. Another really weird thing about about it was we know she got on the bus because her boyfriend took her to the bus station and saw her onto the bus. We also have the witness who said she got off the bus at 20 past five. So all of that adds up. But the dad apparently wasn't in the house. So how would he have known? Yeah. But then he calls the police. Yeah, at quarter to two to say this. Um, her boyfriend, John, I think was it his name? Um, he said that the judge called him then at um, about quarter past two in the morning to ask him if she'd been on the bus. Okay. So, like, why would he do that? At quarter past two in the morning, phone him to say, what bus did she get on? And he told her. Um, he told her dad that it's weird. It's yeah, so weird. I'm not quite sure where this is going now. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so five minutes later, Doris calls. She's freaking out. Um, and, yeah, they. I they think they described her as... Um, not upset, but erratic, or, or, you know, one of those... She was not a happy lady. Um, she was freaking out, so th she asked them to, to come to the house. Um, so just after 2 a.m., the first police officer arrived at the family home, which is called the Glen. Mm. It was 
Yeah, Constable Rutherford was the, the first guy on the scene. He met Judge Curran coming forward in the driveway and he was about um, to speak when they heard shouting and ran towards the source. As they got closer to the noise, they saw a light coming um, from a shrubbery just off the drive and they found Desmond, Patricia's brother, mm. leaning over Patricia. She was about 40 yards 25 meters <laughs> um, away from the house and there was a pile of her belongings about 10 yards from her again um, the belongings were or included a book papers folders a beret and a handbag um, and some of those things she didn't have with her when she returned home so that she so didn't not have them. on the bus no they not all of them were on the bus and I know the bus stop, like the the bus route will have changed a bit, mm. but um, also based on what I was looking up, I'm familiar with the stretch of road yeah. between where the bus stop is and where the house is. There are no shops hmm. at all. Now, like today, there's a hairdresser if you go across the road and down the street and there's a cafe, but um, there's no shops. Huh. So there's no way she got that stuff from a shop more or less on the way home. <laughs> Plus the witness statement says she didn't. You you seem kind of entertained by this. Oh, I'm definitely entertained. I'm just trying to figure out where it's going. Oh, it's going absolutely nowhere. What? It's the end. <laughs> okay, no, okay. So, um, her brother Desmond lifted her up and thought she breathed. He and his father both insisted she was alive. And at this point, the family solicitor, Malcolm Davidson had also just arrived on scene with his wife, having been told Patricia was missing. Malcolm then brought Patricia to a local doctor who pronounced her dead. This... Oh, go ahead. They brought in the solicitor? Oh, the yeah. First thing when the, the, the solicitor missing. arrived at the same moment almost as the police did, a few minutes later, if that. Oh, that's... Yeah. yeah and one yeah. of the sources, it made it sound like the, um, the solicitor was already in the house. So... Best case scenario, best case scenario, solicitor shows up at two in the morning just after the police did, having been told she's missing. And bear in mind, 20 minutes before, they're calling the police to say, is there a bus accident? Because she was supposed to be home at five. No, that's weird. There's a lot of really weird points here. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um... Then they did an initial examination at 5 a.m. at the local doctor's house, but they had a different physician come in to do it. Um, so this uh, this guy, Dr. Wells, um, did the initial examination um, and made notes to say the body was almost fully clothed, but um, there was a right glove, hat, scarf and shoes missing. Um, Dr. Wells began his examination on arrival and found that rigor mortis had completely set in, um, leading to his opinion that the death had took place about 12 hours earlier, which, scarily enough, kind of fits with the newspaper boy hearing that noise at quarter to six. Yeah. So, because they did this at 5 a.m. Mm. Um, so the, the rustling might have been nothing, but it's also weird. Um, the other thing was, oh yeah, so they did um, a full postmortem at three o'clock the following day. Well, the, three p.m. later the same day, I guess. Mm. Um, there were thirty-seven stab wounds. Twenty-one were in the front of the chest. Eight um, were so serious that they could have been fatal. There were also marks to the face, which were caused by blunt instrument like a fist or a boot. And there was also uh, abrasions on her neck. So it's. It, it was a massive amount of overkill. And 
but the brother and the father said, like, no, 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 she's alive when they found her. It, I have more weird details on that. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. But I tried to keep all the weird details in one place. Um, yeah, so according... Yeah, according to Patricia's boyfriend, Judge Curran had called at 10 past 2 in the morning to ask what bus Patricia had caught. So that must have been just after they left with Patricia to go to the doctor's house. Mm. The other thing is, around the same time he would have called John to ask about the bus, he also, by a couple of reports, seemed to call the police separately to report that his daughter had been shot. What? Yeah. So... I don't, I don't know what that's about. Um, no, do you want to hear the weird stuff? Because you haven't had any weird yet. Oh, okay, this is not weird. Okay. Okay. Um, shoot, I guess. Um, <laughs> maybe not the best one to say. Um, so, weird thing number one. Um, she was wearing a wristwatch and it was broken, but there was no broken glass um, at the scene. And the, the hands on the watch face were also broken off and they weren't found at the scene. Hmm. The belongings um, and Patricia were were all completely dry, but it had been raining all night. Uh Um, Her belongings were also stacked on the ground, so placed with thought is what I got from that. Hmm. Um, And there were also several folders in there, but there were no papers strewn about. It really seemed to be, yeah, placed carefully. Recreate what she might be carrying from school I I have no idea actually I never even thought about that but that's that's an interesting point because if they didn't yeah if it was someone in the house if they didn't know what she was carrying then maybe they would have just grabbed whatever Hmm. because if they hadn't seen her in the morning they hadn't seen her afterwards wow that's a good one then just grab what you think she would have had with her she'll have definitely had a handbag she'll have definitely had her folders she probably would have had a hat blah 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 oh that's weird um there was little or no blood at the scene Um, after what do you say 37 stubbins yeah 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 it shouldn't be that much bleeding surely no probably not (laughs) um okay the other one which really freaked me out so brother lift her up and says Oh, she breathed, and both him and the dad were saying, yeah, yeah, she's definitely alive, we'll just bring her to the local doctor. Rigor mortis had already set in when they found her, mm. um, and one of her arms was stiffened upwards. Um, so I, I dug into rigor mortis a bit, because, I mean, aside from the obvious, I don't really know anything about it. Mm. Um, it usually becomes noticeable with small muscles, so eyelids, neck, jaw, that kind of thing, after about an hour. Um, and full rigor is when the whole body goes stiff and that's within 8 to 12 hours after death. So it, again, it's kind of possible that it could have happened later. Mm. Um, so maybe it was 7, 8, 9 o'clock that it happened. But yeah, you're looking early evening ballpark, not at that moment. Yeah. But it, why would one arm be stuck up in the air? That's, that's weird. Um, and they're insisting she's alive and rigor has kicked in yeah. in a weird position. It's one thing if you're like lying on the ground and you're cold, but in the air. Um, yeah. Okay. So afterwards, they, um, they ended up fingerprinting and interviewing every man in White Abbey who was over 16 over the days that followed. So they were taking it seriously. Um, yeah, that's a... Which is also what led to so many witness statements. Uh, of course. 
Um, <laughs> that said, Judge Curran didn't let the police interview the family for four days. And the judge didn't. Oh, okay, okay. They weren't allowed in the family home until a week after. And by that point, it was clear Patricia's bedroom was recently redecorated. Yeah. Um, did <laughs> the judge actually like give any sort of reason or explanation to why that would be a good option? No, and it didn't seem like he was ever asked. It seemed yeah, like he's worse. very senior. He's one of the most senior people in, well, yeah. <laughs> like... No one asked. No one dared ask. That's that's what it seems like whenever... I, I can't believe I find this because it happened around the corner from my aunt. Like, yeah. what a weird... Like, things like this don't happen there. That was another thing they said. Um, it, it got a lot of attention at the time because things like that do not happen. Mm. A lot of um, crime over there was, you know, sectarian crime. It wasn't stuff like this. Mm. Um, so, suspects, they, um, they didn't really have any suspects... Um, until this guy Ian Two Eyes, spelt the Scottish way, Ian Hay Gordon, who was a young airman, um, they yeah they they liked him for it I guess. Um, so Patricia's brother had actually tried to convert him when working with the moral rearmament uh, oh. crowd. Um, it didn't work clearly. Um, yeah, Ian Hay Gordon was convicted of murder after he confessed, and the main police officer. Um, had asked detailed questions about Ian's lifestyle and fantasies and then warned him that his mother would be told he was gay unless he cooperated. And this then turned into a oh. confession. And also, being gay was, of course, still a criminal act at the yeah, time. So, true, true. Um, yeah. at the trial, we... <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm also curious, like, how did that come out? Did the policeman who actually did that divulge that later? Was it archived somewhere? Or? Yeah, so there's been a few books on it. And um, there were some really interesting quotes from the police officer who got the confession. Mm. And it's it's very long-winded, but it comes down to, I had to break um, the facade and I, um, I had to really push him to get anywhere. And when I got to see a hint of the sort of person he was, I was able to leverage it. That was kind of the... Uh. It, was, it was all very coded. I don't remember reading anything about... Um, him ever admitting that he he would have said to this guy's mum he's gay blah 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 mm. but um it it it's consistent it's oh. mentioned all over the place that that was the threat given and then he confessed oh, okay so yeah it's strange um at the trial he was found guilty but insane he was um sent to a secure facility in Holywell for seven years, but he received no treatment when he was there because it was understood that he was not insane. So, okay. yeah, so even, it's like everyone's in on it. Um, when he was released, he was required to return to his native Scotland under an assumed name. Whenever um, he, he got a regular job, I I looked into a bit more about what happened when he back, went back to Scotland and he basically, he got a job, he tried to live a normal life, um, and I think it was around 1993, whenever he retired, um, he started looking at trying to clear his name, mm. because they, he said there had been a lot of coverage of 
um, various people who, who'd had their names cleared for um, various crimes, especially with DNA coming into play a bit more. Um, but yeah, he, he was turned on because he was told um, legally guilty but insane is considered an acquittal. Um, and it was only after the law changed he was able to appeal again. So in 2000, the conviction was overturned because, mm. um, yeah, the confession was ruled inadmissible by three different judges and it was the only evidence pointing to his guilt. Um, the final weird things on this, after Patricia's death, um, her mom, Doris, was admitted to a mental hospital and she remained there until her death, within weeks of it. So, and it could just be, I mean, she never, she apparently didn't get on with her daughter. She'd obviously grown up in, um, in that kind of environment as well. Mm. The whole thing was very strange, but yeah, she, she was sent to one... I don't think voluntarily, and she stayed there until she died. The other thing was, her brother, bear in mind, so he was um, a member of a Presbyterian church. Mm. Northern Ireland is a, has a reputation for having sectarianism issues. Ooh, he became a Catholic priest and moved to South Africa almost immediately after she died. Okay. What? Yeah. Like. That's kind of a word. I I mean, becoming a priest and moving to a different continent already is sort of like, whoa. But yeah. 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 So (laughs) he became a Catholic priest and moved to South Africa. He died in 2015. When he died, um, there was quite a few articles about um, how that was maybe the last chance to ever find out what happened mm. because he was the last living person with a connection to the case, like uh, close connection yeah. with the case. Um, and there were some interviewers um, who spoke to parishioners or former parishioners of his. Um, and one of them commented that it was clear he had a past and carried a burden. Um, and the other thing that didn't come out until years after the murder was there was a massive blood stain uncovered on the floor of the church's bedroom. Even after five days of redecorating? Yeah. Oh. And this was years later they find it. Nice. The end. I mean... Isn't that crazy? So many weird things, but I'm not sure where to start. To be honest. <laughs> who do you think did it? But yeah, who did it? Because... Okay, if um, the initial examination was right, then mm. the death would have been five, six o'clock at night which means the judge has an alibi. Okay, should we, should we address the, um, the guy, Ian, who was originally convicted? I think we're happy that he didn't do it. Yeah, he also, and he also didn't... a happy note that that got um, sorted yeah. in the end. Poor guy. Like, mm. he, he moved back to Scotland and lived with his mum and, mm. and just got some job and always had this against his name until he retired. And even then being told, oh, technically... But wait, you said he got a new assumed identity. Yeah. But he still lived with his mum. And he then he moved with... Yeah, okay. It's, okay. It, yeah. It, the conditions for him moving where he had to change his name and he had to go back to Scotland. Mm. But yeah, he moved in with his mum. Yeah. Um, and the, the new articles I found about his acquittal and everything else gave his real name. Mm. So not that I really went searching for his assumed name because poor guy. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah... I know, I'm, I'm kind of, 
like it could go in so many directions. I'm kind of leaning mother. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, normally women don't perpetrate messy crimes. Mm. And the logic is, or um, whether this is true or not, I, I read that um, women don't perpetrate messy crimes because they're used to cleaning up the mess from things. So even whenever... That's a bit sad, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like even whenever they... Um, if you have a woman who um, ends up losing her life by her own hand, she's more likely to do it in a bathroom because the cleanup is easier. Uh. Things like that are kind of crazy. Um, and of course, the, the typical ones that um, methods of killing for women are, are, you know, ones that don't involve brute force. So mm. like poisoning is the classic, I guess. To me, stabbing is like crime of passion. But it, it's also a crime of convenience because, I mean, no, where, where are you going to get a gun? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm just trying to see on basically the scenario. Like, okay, she was not really approving of the willfulness and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but uh, probably no one in the family was. Mm -hmm. uh, but also how it was approached and how it was covered up. And if, for instance, the brother actually did it, then... I'm pretty sure with all they did, they would have kind of had him on the sidelines with, for instance, the whole like, discovering the body and, oh, she's probably still alive. Yeah. He would have been shoved away and the father would have tried to sort that. Yeah, that's a good point. The mum didn't seem to be anywhere for this stuff yeah. apart from calling it in. Yeah. And then being forcibly committed as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, the it could still be the father, but... Um, the, the timings, like, because I was quite convinced it would be perhaps the dad, hmm. but the timings don't seem to work out. I mean, it, it, it could be, but yeah. um, the other thing I was wondering is, um, okay, they didn't want them in the house because of the crime scene, clearly, but what if there was something else going on in the house that they didn't want them to see? Like, if he's, if he's hmm. in debt, if... Um, you know, how do we know he doesn't have something on the side, especially when you have that that dodgy case in the 60s where he has this guy convicted and uh, and hung, hanged? I think hanged is correct. Um, for for a murder on circumstantial evidence, he, mm. he addresses the jury on that. He sounds sketchy as anything. It's true. And maybe they did have stuff in the house that they didn't want found, they didn't want seen, they wanted to keep private. Um, and, you know, if, if it happened that it you know it actually was someone outside the house and you know they got in like if they're lurking in the bushes follow her into the house stab her in her bedroom mm. and and the mom freaks out and finds it at seven o'clock calls the dad gets him to to come i mean what's their first reaction going to be is it going to be to call the police or is it going to be okay no i don't want my name in the papers for this I don't want them going through all my things. I don't. I don't want this being treated as a crime scene. Maybe they really are. And uh, I mean, <laughs> chances are no. I think. I think it's someone in the family yeah. did it. But I mean, who knows? Also, the rustling thing. Mm. It, to me, it doesn't make sense that they would have. If you're the brother or the mum, mm. you're going to attack her in the house. You're not going to attack her in the driveway. True. And maybe the same for the father as well, surely. Yeah, but the father wasn't there anyway. Um, but 
the only person who would have attacked her in the street is someone who didn't have access to the highs, right? Mm. So, so you're if, thinking like attacked and then forced to open up and go in? I have no idea, but the the rustling thing is weird. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I think it could it could of course have been completely outside person. I'm thinking like from the perspective of them trying to cover up other stuff in the house. Mm-hmm. They must have been able to sort that quicker than needing, you know, the full day and then also tampering with the actual crime scene. Because I think if it was an outside person, partially they would probably want that person to actually go down yeah. for it as well. And um, But you'd assume people would see stuff. It's a small village. Yeah. It's fairly quiet. I mean, it's not... It's quiet enough that you'd notice someone who didn't belong there. Yeah. But it's not so quiet that you're not going to come across anyone. True. I don't know. I think chances are, yeah, it's the, it's someone in the family, but I don't know. I, I really find it hard to believe the mother did it. I think it's logical enough that you have a bit of a, <laughs> a bit, you have a bit of a tough time after your daughter's brutally murdered and especially if she knew oh, who did it. Definitely, um, definitely. And if, yeah, she was close to whomever did it. Maybe she did just discover it. Or maybe it was the brother. The brother must have known what happened. It's amazing that nothing ever came out about it. There is also the possibility of um, considering the actual like murder and injuries. And if it might have been her just, especially when they tampered with the um, like both crime scene moving out and blood and not where it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. that it wasn't as messy a killing. Maybe it would have been like, one stab or one blow mm-hmm. might have killed her and then in the process of covering up maybe thought like oh no some weird psychopath came in and they basically stabbed the corpse and tried to Whoa. cover shit up that's horrible but the um you can tell whether a wound was infi- inflicted pre or post-mortem so true if yeah. it was done within you know moments of her dying that's one thing but if it yeah. was I don't think I think it would have been noticed if they did it after or if it was done after. Yeah, yeah, not not too long after, of course. But the seven o'clock thing, as well, is very weird. Who mm. called the judge at seven o'clock to get him back to the house? Was it the mum or was it the brother? Yeah. Or no one. It must have been one of the two of them. <laughs> so many questions. Yeah, I was so convinced it was the dad, and then the the mother and the um, the son did a, you know, I, I can't deal with this man anymore. Uh, Son ran off because I, I don't want anything to do with this guy. And the mum was just, you know. does make sense, though. Yeah, but I don't think it works in the timings. Unless the call at 7 o'clock was to say, you know, something crazy. Like, she she's pregnant, or she's this, or she's that, or she's, oh, mm. she's, you know, consorting with older men again. <laughs> but... um Unless that was the call at seven o'clock, because there is a margin of error with the, um, yeah, it said eight to twelve hours for full rigor to set in, so yeah. it could it could have been later than five or six o'clock, but not much later. Um, yeah, there's something, something weird going on there. Definitely. The dry body, dry books, dry stuff, wet ground, and why why was the arm up in the air? That's weird. 
Well, I mean... Like, in what position would you have that arm up in the air? I mean, they don't mention defensive wounds. But you're talking, like, straight up. It sounded like it. I mean, depending on how she fell and rested before they moved her, I guess. Yeah, but if you're you're slumped, it would have affected her neck, and it... um, I read that rigor will... um, will set in in the, the smaller muscles first, and neck is one mm. of them, so it would have set in the neck before it sets in the arm, so the neck was straight, and the arm wasn't. Why would it be up in the air, and then the rest of her is flat? If, if she was on the ground, straight neck, maybe her arm got caught on something, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I'm definitely not qualified to actually make any educated guesses here. But... <laughs> the um, one last thing on it, the driveway, because I've gone past the house, not knowing what it is, of course. Mm. Um, the driveway is like it's it is super long, and it's there's a lot of space around it, and especially if it's dark, you you can't see to the edges of the ground. There's trees, there's everything. Okay. So there could have been someone lurking there. There was even one of the sources I read um, a suggestion that she was freaked out by the length of the driveway, and um, and how overgrown it was, and would sometimes have someone accompany her down it so you know maybe maybe I mean I I didn't see anything on the boyfriend having an alibi but I mean I think with the timings it's pretty clear he wouldn't have been able to make it maybe it was an ex-boyfriend or whatever else and they just didn't want the scandal of her being killed in their home I mean could it be as simple as that would it really matter inside their home or on their lawn basically I don't know maybe they uh they just felt less culpable, or they mm-hmm. were worried about how it would look. Well, I know we're talking about it fifty years later. Hey. <laughs> anyway, so that was my uh, worst first. It was a decent level of gruesome, but uh, all that mystery. Well, that's going to be kind of tough to follow. But uh, you have a nice light one that we can round out on, and then we can have a drink. Yeah. I like that plan. <laughs> okay. Cool. Tell me yours. Yes, uh, my crime. Uh, as you mentioned, it is in uh, Japan. It is um, almost exactly fifty years old. Uh, it's in uh, wow. nineteen sixty-eight. Okay. Um, so um, yes, in Japan. So the entire thing started when a uh, series of threatening letters were mailed to uh, a <laughs> bank, and you're looking at me. This is such a weird beginning, and I love it. This is so, like, <laughs> okay. Of all beginnings, this is really... Sorry, go on. I love it. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Threatening letters mailed to threatening a bank. Letters, yes. Uh, mailed to the bank. Uh, specifically, they were um, kind of warning that the bank manager's house would be uh, bombed. Okay. So... People kind of freaked out a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, they increased security, of course, both at the uh, bank manager's house and at his uh, bank branch, okay. where he worked. Uh, but like, no, there were a few threats. Nothing happened, and mm-hmm. uh, so people were kind of winding down. The security was still quite high, but people were worried. Um, but they were kind of letting it drop since nothing actually happened. How long had it been going on for? A couple of days or a week or so, I think. Just. Threats, nothing happening immediately, people calming down. But 
uh, after a while then uh, there were four employees at the bank mm -hmm. uh, they were driving a transport vehicle um, it was not like an armored thing but just you know, official transport for the bank and they were transporting um, some employee bonuses to a, a Toshiba factory I think it was oh this is back in the day when you really do have cash for everything kind of that's weird. You, I totally forget about this. Yeah, so you need to transfer this and then yeah. get that to the people. Uh, so, yeah, they were heading to the factory, but like 200 meters, and I'm so sorry, I did not want to check how many yards I'm gonna that is. I'm going to estimate that's about 230 yards. Good show, good show. You're welcome, Americans. I will and still Brits. say 200 <laughs> meters. Um, uh, 200 meters away. Totally <laughs> uh, we'll probably make an edit in the show notes or something. Um, uh, so, uh, at least before they reached their destination, they were stopped um, by a uh, young uh, uniformed officer on a police motorcycle. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he just um, uh, appears, uh, he's off his bike and stops the vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, he then informs uh, these four employees that um, the bank manager's home has blown up. What? And they received a warning that the next target was their vehicle. Their You're vehicle, saying informed. Vehicles. You're saying informed, not that it had. Oh, I'm curious. Whatever can happen. <gasps> I'm um, so excited. This is awful. <laughs> I'm not excited. Well, it happened 50 years ago. I'm I'm sorry to everyone who, who this happened to, but... Fair enough. We're learning. Uh, we'll do our best. We'll do our best. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he uh, tells them this and that the, uh, their vehicle is the next one targeted. Uh -huh. uh, so um, they get out of the car mm -hmm. and the police officer goes uh, underneath the car to look for, apparently the warning mentioned, like a dynamite charge thing. So he goes underneath. Uh, then suddenly uh, a lot of like sparks and smoke start coming from underneath the car. Uh -huh. Uh, the policeman rolls out and shouts that it's going to explode. Uh, all the four employees, they kind of panic. They run up towards the walls of... There's like a prison right nearby. They run up to the walls of the prison, kind of alerted and uh, not really composed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the police officer stands up, uh, gets into the car, mm -hmm. and drives away with 300 million yen. Wow. Which is, uh, let me see... That was approximately $820,000 in 68, so... It, it sounds more impressive in the end, but that is... Yeah. Wow. Uh, so you just drove off. Uh, the employees see this. They realize that, well, the smoke stuff, he just had a little warning flare. Uh, he popped underneath the car. <laughs> oh, nice job. Um, the uh, bank manager's house was not uh, blown up. Good. I'm glad his house so is fine. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then they see the stuff left behind and like the police motorcycle was just a normal bike with a clever paint job and they're just kind of stuck there without all of the money wow. um, so this is still kind of a mystery like what they know what happened afterwards like the um, the guy whomever this uh, fake uh, police uh, guy was mm -hmm. he he took the car drove it a bit then he dumped it, transferred the metal boxes with all the cash to another car he had stolen beforehand and prepped, mm -hmm. drove that car even further, then dumped that car and transferred it into a third stolen car. Yeah. And then disappeared. Wow. That's a thorough job. Yep. 
and it's so smooth. Like I love a good heist yeah. and like just how clean everything. No one's is. hurt by the the signs of things. I mean, no. people are rattled. That would be a scary moment. But yeah, and I mean, poor guy getting threatening letters. But yeah. everyone's, I mean, pretty much all right. Yeah. Well, possibly not all the employees oh. who oh. lost all their money. But well, okay. It, oh come it was on! Bonuses. It must be insured. No. Bonuses. What do you mean? It's just bonuses. Why would you feel if it was your bonus? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure if we're getting into that, but uh. yeah, let's let's not touch that. We work together, so yeah. <laughs> we have the same pain. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, so no, I I really like this, but I found it like I didn't have a personal connection or anything. I was uh, looking at crime. I saw this and thought that I should have heard about it, but I never had. I wonder um, why. Well, maybe it's because it's an old one, and hmm. yeah, I mean, how many old crimes do you hear about? Yeah. And when you do, they're usually the classics, or yeah. American serial killers. Yeah, or, they're always American or, or British or, or really horrific. <laughs> that is smooth. It really is. And, and they uh, like also all the cover up. Like they had, uh, apparently they found one hundred and twenty ish pieces of evidence in the crime scene. <laughs> nice um, job. Okay. Which was all just basically random items, not even red herrings, but just like stuff strewn across to oh that's so cool um, but can you imagine if you just went like yeah you just bring a couple of bags full of stuff that you pick up at a, a random shop yeah have it with you <laughs> oh what does this mean oh there just no hey there's cat food here hey there's a there's a t-shirt with a band name on it oh <laughs> you know maybe they were at this concert maybe they have a cat maybe they do this it's like nope it's all complete and utter nonsense. Nothing more. That's it. You you need to. Um, I don't know if they still do it. They must do. But um, I think in Heathrow, you used to be able to go to auctions and buy unclaimed luggage. Really? Yeah. Like the storage for thing. Yeah, like yeah, sort of that, except the luggage equivalent. And on the one hand, mm-hmm. I would absolutely love to do it once because, I mean, that's peering into someone's life. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, you're you're just... Because you don't get to see what's in it. You have to judge it based on... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. really like storage wars or something. Mm. Um, you would just end up getting someone's dirty laundry from a random trip. <laughs> like, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get nasty smelly shoes from when they were somewhere too hot and forgot to bring any socks and it's it's just going to be horrible and then for some reason they ended up putting a tuna sandwich in there and you know it's been there for four weeks yeah. and yeah. can you imagine using that as your red herring stuff that would be hilarious <laughs> oh. yeah, like getting four different briefcases yeah. just combining items from them just blind picking them out yep. yeah like completely random stuff completely random DNA and all that yeah that would mess with it. Did they ever have any leads? Did they ever? Not that much. Like they did suspect a. Um, uh, the, the first suspect was a nineteen-year-old son of uh, a police officer. Nineteen. Yep. Uh, Imagine if it was him. The dude looked really young, though, um, uh, from the four employees' witness statements. And yeah. All that. Um, but apparently, so he didn't have an alibi. But uh-huh. they couldn't really connect anything. He probably didn't know enough about the procedures and everything. Um, or he's a really good hustler. Possibly. But also, no, none of the money was found in connection with him. Uh, so the main thing they had going was, okay, some kind of police connection and no alibi. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, also, he died 
The uh, 19-year-old. Yeah, later that same month. Whoa. From cyanide poisoning? <gasps> so maybe he did do it and it was stolen. Whoa. That's it, a pretty weird coincidence. It was a bit weird. Uh, they did, however, uh, rule it as a suicide, mm -hmm. and he was considered not guilty of that. But that's a bit strange. Hmm. Uh, after this, though, they somehow compiled a list of suspects which had 110,000 names on it. Um, <laughs> and there was a pretty big investigation trying to solve this. Um, they did arrest some other people, which turned out pretty badly, uh, like on no grounds. And there were some police officers getting uh, shit for, you know, abusing power and stuff like that. Wow. But yeah, no, they continued the uh, investigation for seven years with no results. And then the uh, statute of limitations for the crime passed with no further arrests. That's, wow. But the thing... It's kind of sad, but it's also still like the interesting thing. Like, uh, I think it was 1988 was the point where I was not aware of this as a separate thing from the statute of limitations, but apparently, like, being relieved of any civil liabilities. Um, In what sense? At the, that year, basically meaning that um, like, what, whoever did this suing? could just go out, uh, tell the story back about it with like zero legal repercussions. I Which okay, I so it thought was the statute thing. Yeah, I thought it would be the same, but maybe it's like um, okay, you know, the O.J. Simpson case, mm. find not guilty, and then the family sues in the civil court for wrongful death, mm. and the burden of proof is so much lower for that that oh. you you can you know sue for for money or whatever I guess. Mm. Um, maybe it's something like that. Might be. So if if he had come forward and said. Oh, I did it, and da 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 da. Mm. Then, uh, then maybe they could have sued him for, yeah, the insurance company perhaps could have sued him instead of it. That maybe sense, that's yeah. it. Could that be it? Possible. Possible. I don't know. If you know, let us know. <laughs> but yeah, like that was 1988, but still, no one's come forward. And like on the one hand, cyanide boy. That is a possibility, but I I don't see it like then why there must why don't be collusion with someone else and why? someone taking it because I, I, I the money of... was never found is that why you don't think it could be a thomas crown affair thing like they just do it for fun and they buried what was it 600 million yen in the forest like <laughs> no but like if you're not doing it for the money if you know you're going to get caught if you spend the money mm. if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it True. especially if you're young and reckless you're like well you know i've done it once i can do it again but so do you think that someone poison him and then try to find the money and get away with oh, it. Oh, no, I like where you're going with this. Oh, <laughs> this is good. I know. I, I just kind of want to hope that there's just this really old Japanese guy sitting on this pile of loot and just like <laughs> got away with it. Oh, no, I'm, I'm like way down the Monte Cristo route now. <laughs> like um, in the book rather than the movie because movie's good as well but um in the book you have um the abbe who is in prison who has been there for whatever it is 10 years or something mm. and the governor comes around and sees some of the prisoners once a year and he's one of them and every year he promises a ridiculous amount of money so it's you know the equivalent of a hundred thousand pounds or a hundred thousand mm. whatever um 
I'll give you all of this if you if you let me free and I'll take you to this treasure. And then the next year it's double that and the next year it's triple that and so on. And they all just think mm. he's, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And and sure enough, he did know what he was talking about. And it was someone else's lost fortune. Mm. Oh, that would be interesting. If it's Well, I mean, it's paper money and it's 50, 60 years old now. So yeah. what is it, 50 years old? Yeah, almost exactly 50. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not useful anymore. It really would have had to be siphoned or, or um, cleaned already otherwise. Yeah. Oh, what do you hope happened? Really just old Japanese guy sitting there, super stoked that he, he pulled off the perfect crime. And... Kind of? <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of fits how smooth everything went and all that. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, if it was the, um, I mentioned, 19-year-old... Which didn't look that probable on other points as well, like just capabilities of that dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, is but, it realistic that a 19-year-old working alone could have really pulled it off? Probably well, not. Yeah, though, yeah. I think so. From the descriptions as well, it looked to be a really young guy, but the uniform was like a police officer then. When we're saying really young, do we mean like kid young or do we mean like early 20s, late teens young? Or no, we... early 20s, late teens. Like, okay. like Not too like... young to possibly be the most respected police officer. Okay, but, um, but the um... right age to wear a uniform. Yeah. Like, it didn't seem out of place young. Well, I think they mostly looked at the uniform and not necessarily at the dude. Yeah, that's the thing you about uniforms. You, you don't look at the faces. You mm-hmm. just look like, yeah. Especially with the benefit of um, pertaining to do the uh, motorcycle thing and having a <laughs> helmet and stuff as well. So. Oh, that's good. I did see they had a uh, composite sketch made which i'm not entirely sure how they actually managed to put all that up but can, um, can you describe can, it uh, can we share it we'll we put it on the website we can share it we'll put it on the website we'll it's, put it on um, crimebythebar.com yeah you can see the episode notes uh, but but it's basically just really young guy with the helmet that is not helpful at well, all not at all no <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so no, no, that's the thing. If you don't have any distinctive features, then then what are you supposed to do? Like, it's really easy to go, yeah, he had a scar on his face or he had a, hit a mole or he had um, one eyebrow that was half the length of the other, you know, something distinctive. But if it's, no, his, his face looks like it fit his face. <laughs> I don't know. I'm always amazed whenever they, they do those... Um, composite sketches and mm. like here's a whole picture book of noses pick the one that like I couldn't do that for you I don't even think I could do that for me I would come up it just it wouldn't work I guess it's easier when you have the face all together and you're like no a bit wider a bit longer a bit this a bit that yeah like just separate that would be weird but like yeah. adjusting an existing one yeah I spent a lot of hours in character creators uh, games trying to recreate, you know, friends. You? Not me, but friends. Oh. Like Did you ever have any uh, any friend that could always make the avatar look exactly like them and it's more down to their face being so completely standard than, than them being particularly good at customising avatars? Not really. I can only think of one case, but that's kind of cheating because it was a guy... With a very full beard, a yeah. very distinctive nose, and if you got a beard and made sure the nose was semi-okay, then that's it. The you're, rest kind you're of worked golden. out. Yeah. <laughs>
Cool. That was a really good one. Mm. Wow. I will never know. Mm. I love that they um that legally there's nothing they could do now. Yeah. But that that like okay, that kinda of ruins the hope. Okay, fine if someone wants to uh live in peace for the rest of their time yeah. with their highest money. Um but like I would love to hear that though. But culturally, um what would the response be if you if you had someone in your community who'd committed a crime like that? Like I think if you're at a dinner party and someone turns out to be an art forger, it's it's very interesting and it's sort of like, you know, it's it's a charming story. Like, tell me more. If someone turns to you and says, yeah, I forged passports, it's a little bit more like, ooh, uh, what's your clientele like? I mean, that's true, but also weird. But, I mean, what, what would the reaction be if, if you're at a dinner party and someone says, oh, yeah, I, um, I stole 600 million yen in the 50s? Hmm. Like, I mean, if if you get over the whole would you actually take it seriously bit, yeah. um, would you be completely terrified of this person and go, oh, oh no, oh no, no, no. Or or would you just be entertained by it? I don't think so. Like, I, I know I would be entertained because I'm entertained just listening or reading about this. But I think as a general thing, a large part of it might come down to actually what happened to... Uh, all the poor workers. Um, yeah, did they get their bonuses? I do not know. It must have been covered by insurance. If, well, if it was covered by insurance and all that, I think it would get go down uh, smoother. I mean, I I feel sorry for the bank manager guy getting the threatening letters. That that's bound to freak you out. And mm. I mean, even <laughs> imagine being assigned to security on his home. So this guy has been getting threatening letters. They're gonna blow up his house. So we we need some security here. We're going to stand by the house now. No, you, you'd be so skittish. Like, mm. you hear a, a firecracker and you're like, you've got your gun out. It, that's not good. And, okay, if everyone got their bonuses, yay, you haven't done that much harm, maybe. Mm. But, um, I don't know. Is the bank manager okay in the end? Was he haunted by it for years? <laughs> yeah. That is very possible. Let's pretend everyone was fine. That makes it so much better. <laughs> awesome choice. Yeah, I you. love it. Thank you. Mm. But now I set the bar and now I must... I will struggle next week, I'm sure. Yeah? I have high hopes. Um, yeah, let us, let us know who you think might be responsible. And let us know who you think was responsible for... The murder. Especially. Of Patricia Curran. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if we'll ever know with either of these. I'm way more interested in those theories, though. But um, Yeah, I'm really curious to see what other people think. Mm. So, if you want to share your thoughts, just... Um, yeah, if um, you can send your theories on who committed the crimes to our Twitter account. Um, we're at Crime by the Bar on Twitter. And I think we should celebrate with a drink. Good plan. Do you know what we're drinking this week? Mm, well, I do. Because you saw me details. make it. Um, we're we're having brambles this week. Um, so a bramble is a gin cocktail, and Jonathan is not a gin drinker. So that's a fair comment, right? Mm, definitely. You're not a gin drinker. I'm not a whiskey drinker. So we'll do a whiskey one some week and <laughs> uh, and see how that goes. Um, but it's a the the only ingredients in it are um, blackberry liqueur, gin. 
lemon juice and a little bit of sugar syrup. So, um, yeah, it's going to be pretty strong. I'm going to go get them. Let's get them. Yeah. <laughs> Are we recording? Yeah. Okay. Here's your drink. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> they do look good, though. It looks really good. I think the frosted glass helps, like, actual frosted glass, not, like, the glass you have going from your bathroom to the outside world. <laughs> mm. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't use straws that much, but I should not be failing at it. <laughs> what happened? I was trying to use both straws at once and... You can use it both at once? It shouldn't fuck anything up. Something all fucked up. What fucked up? I don't know if there was a sound. Oh. Something. What do you think? It goes down surprisingly easy, I think. It does, but it is... Like, it's not heavy. It's very clear and nice, but there's something... I guess intense. Yeah. Um, with the flavors. So I'll put the recipe up on our website, but there is about a lemon's worth of juice in each cocktail. Um, <laughs> there's a good shot of gin, um, some blackberry liqueur, and a little bit of sugar syrup. But um, it's mostly gin and lemon juice, hmm. which is kind of scary. I don't know. I mean... It it's works. still like the taste is just mm. very good, solid um, brambles. Bramble. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. And uh, visit our website at uh, crimebythebar.com for extras like uh, photos related to the crimes. You can also get our bramble cocktail recipe on there. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. And don't forget to subscribe. And, uh, let us know if you have something you think we should uh, try either as a drink or talk about uh, by emailing us at crimebythebar at gmail.com okay. well, we hope you come back for next week for slightly newer yeah tales. next week we're doing crimes that happened 2015 onwards mm. so some of them you might have heard of and we also have a Minnesota dropping in the next couple of days which True. ooh well, that you'll just have to find out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>